This episode of Code Story is sponsored by Ladder. Ladder was founded by LeBron James and Arnold Schwarzenegger to change the way supplements are made. They worked with the top scientists to formulate a line of clean performance products. Unlike other supplements, every batch is tested by a third party to verify the highest standards for quality and safety. We all know what a tremendous athlete LeBron is, and Arnold, no explanation needed. If they back it, you know it's got to be good. Ladder's goal is to help you unlock your best in any situation. Right now, that means access to special offers and expert advice from their community. Use code BETTEREVERYDAY, all one word, all caps, for 30% off everything site-wide at ladder.sport. That's better every day, all caps, all one word, for 30% off at ladder.sport. I design it to help out on kind of what the website looks like and what the app looks like, or if it's something to actually write the code of the applications and stuff like that. But I think at the end of the day, if they don't have a love for podcasting, if they don't love to listen to podcasts and, and kind of things like that, that's a really steep hill to climb into to build something that people are going to love i think you need to love it as well so really early on when you're a really small team a really small enterprise i think that passion for the thing that you're trying to do i think is really hugely important my name is mabash Iqbal. i'm the founder of podhunt this is code story a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today, how Mubasher Rickball brought the power of Product Hunt into the discovery of podcasts on a train ride home. All this and more on Code Story. Mubasher Rickball, a.k.a. Mubs, has always been a maker. Having built 85 side projects, he is no stranger to launching new products. Being inspired by his love for Product Hunt, he got the idea to create something with the same mechanics, but for podcasts. On a train ride home, he started to build Pod Hunt, a place for podcast lovers to submit and vote on new episodes, solving discovery around episodes over entire podcast shows. Yeah, so I mean, uh, yeah, as you said, it was kind of inspired by some other things that exist out there. So in terms of trying to figure out what was in the MVP, it ended up being pretty simple, right? Like it was something you need to be able to sign up, something you need to be able to submit an episode, something you need to be able to upload the episode, and then you need to be able to see that list of episodes. So that, yeah, kind of planning it was kind of fairly straightforward because I was just trying to follow a roadmap that, that kind of existed uh, kind of out there already. So it didn't require a lot of planning, a lot of thought really. It was just kind of, I was in New York City uh, and I was meeting with some friends and things. And so on the train ride home, I started to work on Pod Hunt itself. So it took me about two weeks to get like a functioning MVP out there uh, for people to kind of be able to sign up and submit episodes as well. Okay, yeah, two weeks, that's pretty quick. So, <laughs> yeah. so you built Pod Hunt on a train. That's that's awesome. <laughs> where you well, started. That's where I started it. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've probably got a pretty long way. I, it's a two and a half hour train ride from New York City up to upstate New York where I live. So I, I got quite a lot accomplished. <laughs> sure, sure. No, that's that's fantastic. What is it built in? What's the stack? Yeah, I'm, so I'm a big fan of uh, Laravel PHP. And actually, it's funny because I was in a I was in New York City to be at Paracon conference, and that's why I was friends there as well. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, so it's built in Laravel PHP. 
Uh, it's using some view as well in the front end to be able to do the uploading and stuff like that with just um, Ajax stuff. And then it's hosted on HTLotion droplets as well. Okay, gotcha. Very cool. Side question. So Laravel, do you happen to know Tanner Hearn or David Hemphill? I mean, I know of them. I think I may have run into one or two of them at the conference as well, but outside of that, not really, no. Gotcha, cool. Well, Tanner is a huge Laravel supporter. I think David was too. I think David's moved on and is working on some other stuff, but Tanner is actually episode two of Code Story. Ah. We used to do some, my agency used to do some work for Musicbed where he's at, and they used Laravel pretty heavy until they moved to React. So yeah, interesting, small world. Yes. So what decisions kind of did you have to make in that two-week stint, you know, and building the MVP? You know, what, 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 what trade-offs did you have to make early on? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest choice that I, I, or the biggest decision I made was to kind of, was to how to handle authentication, really. So I was trying to figure out, like, do people just, like, log in with their, do they make an account with their email address and, uh, and just enter a password and then they kind of become active kind of on the site? You know, do they have to go and verify email addresses and all that kind of fun stuff? Mm-hmm. But, and then the sort of other option was just to use some kind of social media login instead. So use Twitter OAuth instead. And so, yeah, so I decided to use the Twitter OAuth as the sort of way to kind of have people authenticate who they are. And the main reason I decided on that was because I was trying to figure out, it was kind of part of the MVP, but it kind of came, I think, two weeks after the MVP. It came like a week after the MVP itself. But I wanted to be able to uh, tag like who was on each of these episodes, right? Like just like I'm being interviewed now, I wanted to be able to tag the fact that I was in this interview. Right. Um, and so having uh, Twitter be kind of like the, the way that you kind of say who you are on the website and stuff kind of made it a lot easier than to say, oh, if you want to tag somebody as a host of an episode or a guest on an episode, just include their Twitter handle as well. And, and I just felt like had I used email address to kind of be the way that you logged into the website, now just kind of expecting people to be also be able to tag Twitter handles and stuff. Just, I mean, obviously it still would have worked, but I think it just made it more cohesive that the like identity throughout the entire experience now is based on who you are on Twitter instead. Right. I've seen that come through whenever you put Twitter in as a guest or a host and it and it's uh you know tagged as the tweet goes out or it's in the preview it shows up with their picture and stuff, and that's that's a really nice integration. And I think that made life a little bit easier and just easier to understand as well because because I've tried to do things like that in the past, and if you're not requiring people to log in with their Twitter accounts, at some point you have to make them link the account as well somehow, and now you've got one email address that you use to sign up and one email address that you use on Twitter, and, and it just really gets confusing. <laughs> right, sure. So it's pretty much, it's backboned on Twitter right now, which makes sense, keeps it seamless, keeps it consistent. Do you foresee using any other backbones or any other login mechanisms in the future? You kind of feel comfortable with Twitter moving forward? I feel as comfortable as you can with Twitter. <laughs> they tend to have waves of where they really seem pretty friendly with people using their APIs and things. And then they go through waves where it's like, well, we don't want anybody to use our information. And then we want to control everything and the experience and everything like that. So I, mean, I imagine at some point there will have to be some alternative way to be able to log in and sign up and stuff like that. But I think for the foreseeable future, hopefully things will be stable enough that I can continue to the way things are. Very good. So, so tell me about how the product has progressed and matured since that two-week stint, starting with the train ride. 
I mean, it was pretty rough at the end of those, you know, sort of that week or two. I mean, it all kind of worked and it all kind of looked okay. It wasn't fantastic. And it really was the bare minimum features, just like the things that I outlined in terms of, uh, you know, people could sign up, people could submit episodes, people could upload episodes. And that was basically the core of what I had launched uh, kind of at that point. But I kind of like that approach of just keeping things lean and light and stuff, just building the absolute things that you have to build and then to put it in the hands of the users after that. And then just try and talk to a few of them and see kind of what pain they're having, you know, what, what features are missing and, and kind of things like that. So, so since the launch, I think the main things that we've done is, or mainly I've done, because I'm the only one who works on this thing, <laughs> is just improve the experience of kind of just understanding how you submit things because you need to collect a lot of information kind of through you know, who's on the episode, what's the title you want to use when you want to share it, and, uh, you know, what's the podcast that it's actually on, the one that you're actually submitting. And so we kind of broke that up into a few steps and, and just, just tried to make that a little bit easier uh, and kind of simpler to understand what's happening. We added the ability to add a little preview to each episode as well when you upload it, because, I mean, that was one of the things a lot of people asked about was like, well... You know, you've just submitted a 45-minute long episode. Sure. You know, how does somebody know, other than reading the little excerpt about what that little, or the little blurb of what that actual episode is about, uh, you know, how do you know if it's something that will be interesting? And so what we've done is people can now upload a 30-second clip of, of that podcast. So you can little play it right in line. Yeah, hopefully a, a sort of understanding of, of what the episode is about and what the sound quality is like even as well, just as an other indication of if it's something that you might want to hear. Right. That's a great idea. Just a quick clip of here's a juicy tidbit. Yep, exactly. Payoff.com is a paying sponsor of the Code Story podcast. You've tried balance transfers and budgeting, but high interest rates and unrelenting bill cycles make it almost impossible to get out of credit card debt on your own. Instead of another new savings technique, you need a clear path out of debt. And that's what a payoff loan can do. A payoff loan is a personal loan backed by member-centric credit unions designed to help you pay off your credit cards with rates as low as 5.99% APR and loan amounts up to $35,000 with no hidden fees and personal customer service support from Payoff to help you reach your financial goals. Some of the benefits of a Payoff loan may also include potential credit score boost, one monthly payment, and savings from lower interest rates. Go to payoff.com slash codestory to learn more. Checking loan rates won't affect your credit score. Try something new. Pay off your credit card debt with Payoff. NMLS ID 1396805. Not all applicants may qualify. Loans only available within the United States. Loan is not available in all states. Payoff works with lending partners who originate the loans. Additional terms, conditions, and eligibility requirements may apply. More information is available at payoff.com slash codestory. This episode is sponsored by SaveTheChildren.org. Save the Children believes every child deserves a future. In the United States and around the world, they work every day to give children a healthy start in life, the opportunity to learn, and protection from harm. They deliver lasting results for millions of children, including those hardest to reach, and do whatever it takes for children every day. Right now, the coronavirus is the biggest global health crisis of our lifetime. It threatens children in every way. COVID-19 has already left many children without caregivers, out of school, and exposed to violence and exploitation. With your support, SaveTheChildren.org can help children in unsafe households and help support distance learning in the face of school closures. 
Here are some of the ways your support can make a difference. For just $5, you can buy a baby's first book, providing comfort and inspiring a lifelong love of learning. For 10 bucks, you can nourish an out-of-school child in need for one-day breakfast, lunch, and dinner. For $35, you can provide educational toys and activities to engage eager out-of-school learners. And for 50 bucks, you can deliver essentials that keep kids learning while out of school, like books, activities, and supplies. Go to savethechildren.org slash savekids today or www.savethechildren.org slash savekids to make a difference. How are you building your roadmap right now? Like, you know, in roadmap, maybe you're a one-man team right now, right? <laughs> so roadmap is a heavy word, but in any sense of the word as you use it, Mubs, how are you building your roadmap? Yeah, I mean, like, it's a little bit easier with a, with kind of a one-man team because everything's in my head. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sure. So it's a little bit, yeah, you know, I'm not having to share it with people and, and kind of try and make, every, make sure everybody's on the same path and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right. But in terms of like what the roadmap is, you know, really the sort of essence of the site is actually a two-headed marketplace. And, and that's, that's a bit that kind of took me a little bit of time to understand because you've got people who want to submit their episodes, who want to share their episodes so that more people would listen to those episodes. And then you've got the people who want to hear new episodes. And so they come to the website just to find new stuff. And so you've got the essence of a two-headed marketplace. So I find myself kind of stuck in the middle of that. And so I try not to veer too much to one side or the other. Um, and I'm trying to keep that happy medium of, yes, I need people to submit things and to submit new episodes that they found. And I need people to come who are looking to hear all of those things. So I'm trying to focus my roadmap of that core experience that kind of serves those two uh, sides of the market. I mean, I think my, my biggest thing on the roadmap uh, in terms of probably over the next six months or so at least, is probably you know, right now we're a pure web experience. And so I think over the space of the next six months or so, we we'll probably will end up having some kind of app involved as well. People have said that, you know, most of the of the listening of podcasts happens within some kind of app environment, whether it's on iOS or Android, um, you know, through things like Apple Podcasts and Google Play and Spotify now as well as becoming a large player in the space as well. But having an app that people can use on their phones as well to kind of see what's on PodHunt and then maybe listen to the episodes within the application itself is probably something that, that will happen. <laughs> That's super cool. I would definitely be a user of that. So yeah, you have a classic kind of marketplace challenge where you know, you've got kind of chicken and the egg. Do you get the podcasters? Do you get the listeners? And you're constantly balancing that. And the middle point is a win for both, but, but you're attracting them differently. How do you go about that? Yeah, it's actually funny because right now, because as you said, we're really early in the cycle. We're, you know, we're about 10 weeks old, I think it is. <laughs> it's actually funny, I mean, because it is a two-headed marketplace. Fortunately, I mean, in this particular situation, a lot of people that listen to podcasts, a lot of people who host podcasts actually listen to a bunch of other ones as well. Sure. So even though it is a two-headed marketplace, there's a big overlap between the two kind of sides of the marketplace at the very core of it at least as we expand and grow that i think that will start to shift just because you know just that old rule that you know 20 percent of the people are gonna or well, not even 20 probably 10 percent of people are going to be the ones who create the content and 90 percent will be able uh, will will be the ones that uh consume it now i mean obviously my my, my way of attracting 
as our audience is to be on podcasts like this as well because I'm trying to spread the word so sure. being on these podcasts one is you know obviously allowing me to talk to hosts like yourself as well and kind of share what pod hunt is and, and kind of everything else and then obviously when people hear this episode they'll they'll find out what pod hunt is as well and from a listening standpoint hopefully we'll tap into your audience as well <laughs> right right that makes sense that's a that's a good strategy uh, my next question is one of my favorites but it's going to be future future structured for you so you're a one-man team right now as pod hunt continues to grow you might need additional hands right you need, might need additional minds and, and and you might need to grow your team what will you be looking for when you start to add additional resources to your team yeah, I mean, yeah, I've thought about this a lot and I, you know, I've kind of worked at startups in the past as well. So I've kind of been through this cycle of, you know, having to be, you know, from a two or three person team. I think, you know, I was employee number six or seven and we went to like 200 employees kind of a, kind of a one, one point. So I've been through this cycle of growth. Now, I don't think PodHunt will ever be that big. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think for me, just like the passion for the industry, I think is really important. Uh, so really, you know, obviously I'm, I'm going to want people who know what they're doing in terms of that specific skill, that specific skill that I'm looking for, whether it's a designer to help out on kind of what the website looks like and what the app looks like, or if it's somebody to actually write the code of the applications and stuff like that. But I think at the end of the day, if they don't have a love for podcasting, if they don't love to listen to podcasts and, and kind of things like that, that's a really steep hill to climb into to build something that people are going to love i think you need to love it as well so really early on when you're a really small team a really small enterprise i think that passion for the thing that you're trying to do i think is really hugely important absolutely absolutely so you want someone that's passionate for the industry you know that you're building building this for and i'd even extend that question a little further Amad, for you so you've built how many side projects now i think i just pushed out number 85. <laughs> 85 side projects, right? So there are distinct qualities about UMUP that allows you to push out so many great projects, right? And great work all the time. If you were to, you know, bullet point that list and say, I also need the people on my team to think the way that I do, what would the, those things be? I think the biggest thing is, is especially again, once you're in a really small organization, once you're working with one or two people, it's basically a, this isn't somebody else's responsibility, this is my responsibility, right? So it doesn't matter what the task is, it doesn't matter, you know, I've been a one person sort of team here, so I've had to do the design, the development, think about the UI, the UX, I've had to think about SEO, I've had to think about sales and marketing and things like that. So, you know, so the first person that I'm putting on is not gonna be somebody that just handles one of those things. It's going to be somebody who can kind of, yes, have an expertise in one of those things, but they also going to need to do all those other things as well. Right. Because, and, and, and even if it's not actually do all those other things, at least have an understanding and an appreciation for all of those things as well. Because, yeah, I can't, you know, yeah, just not just me, but just kind of anybody else who's kind of working on, on in such close quarters on these things, you're going to have your hands in kind of everything as well. Right, right. Makes sense. Let's talk a little bit about scale. So how are you building this right now to make sure it scales efficiently as Pod Hunt continues to blow up? I mean, there's just some things that over the years you just learn that these things are really bad for scaling. Sure. <laughs> but typically at this point, I try not to worry too much about that kind of stuff. Now, you know, if something happened tomorrow and somebody told me I was going to get a million people come to the website, 
I'd probably find a way overnight to make sure I could handle that, that particular load. Sure. But the chances of that happening are pretty slim, right? I tend to stay away from that uh, the over-optimization thing that, that a lot of people get stunned with. They spend months building something that can scale to tens of millions of visits and they never ever receive tens of millions of visits. So yes, I think other than the, as I said, I've tried to think about like, and frankly, you know, using Haravel is kind of at its core allows you to kind of split things up a little bit. Like if I needed to pull the DB out and put it on its own server, easy to do. If I needed to pull all the images out and serve them from a CDN, I could do that pretty easily as well. So all of the bits are there in place that allow me to scale as and when I, I think it will be important to scale. But it's also keeping things easy and simple to update and simple to work on as you're trying to work out, like, are you building the right thing that, that the market is actually looking for so that you can iterate really fast without worrying too much about scale at the beginning of everything. Right, right. So there's sort of just-in-time development, like as you need it, build it that way. Yeah, I mean, like one of the previous side projects that I had built uh, was a really, really simple two kind of screen site. It was called willrobotstakemyjob.com was the website. And it was, like I said, it was a really simple website, essentially two screens that you could have a whole bunch of information on. Mm -hmm. uh, people typed in the job that they had and it gave them a percentage likelihood that that job would be automated away through AI. And But in the first week that that was live, it got 4 million page views. Oh, wow, uh, nice. Yeah, yeah, and but... When I built the site, we had one, we didn't think we were going to get that much, <laughs> we didn't think we were going to get that much interest in sort of in, in the site. But we had built it in a way that we didn't really worry about scale, but we knew that, you know, there was a potential that something could get, you know, it could get linked from somewhere and, you know, might get a few thousand people come to it instead. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as with most things, unless you're talking about hundreds of millions of visits, hundreds of millions, uh, hundreds of millions of active accounts and things like that most problems you can solve by throwing more hardware at it <laughs> right right and so that was the first thing we did we went from a the smallest size pitch lotion droplet that cost five dollars a month that first night after we launched i went from a five dollar to a twenty dollar droplet instead and uh and that was all that it took after that the, the website ran smoothly even with the millions of requests that we had to serve after that Nice, nice. A little bit of hardware scaling there. Nice. Yes. <laughs> Very cool. This message is brought to you by Atomic Child. Do you love the outdoors? Do you wish you had a way to keep it with you throughout your week? Atomic Child is an artist-run brand that is inspired by nature. They capture the great outdoors through unique designs, and their designs can be found on stickers, blankets, water bottles, mugs, pins, patches, and more at AtomicChild.com. Need nature-based art in your life? Look no further, Atomic Child has the gear for you because they bring nature to you. Me personally, I'm eyeing a new coffee mug or hat with a sweet Colorado design on it. You can bet I'll be ordering some sweet nature-based clothing and accessories right here from Atomic Child. Check out their store and art prints at AtomicChild.com. That's AtomicChild.com. This message is brought to you by RIMS, the Risk Management Society. RIMS is a global organization dedicated to the profession of risk management. For nearly 60 years, RIMS has delivered the latest strategies and resources that allow risk professionals to grow, innovate, and succeed in any business. 
RIMS works with industry leaders to produce content and online training that business professionals turn to. Topics include business continuity, cyber risk, risk management techniques, the fundamentals of insurance, and more. There's also a private, members-only site where people can discuss sensitive issues and get honest answers. Members have been leaning on each other as we all navigate the global pandemic. If you're concerned about the safety of your employees and the sustainability of your organization, you need the resources and connections RIMS provides. Learn more at go.rims.org slash codestory. You can save 25% off a year-long membership. Again, that's go.rims.org slash codestory. You've done a ton of side projects, right? Mistakes are, you're always up, up to your elbows and issues with startups and projects and things like that. So tell me about a mistake you made and, and how you responded to it. Yeah, it's been so, I don't know really in this particular one if, if I've really made too many mistakes just because it hasn't been long enough to make uh, make a lot of mistakes sure. yet. Um, I think in many ways, I mean, the biggest mistake that I made with this is that it took me so long to actually work on it. Because, you know, like I said, it was an idea that kind of started probably about two years back when Product Hunt said that they were going to shut down the hair uh, stuff. And the people had asked me since then, uh, Justin Jackson, actually, who runs Transistor FM, the podcast hosting uh, service is the one who's been the main driver. And ever since they shut down, he's been trying to make somebody make this. <laughs> <laughs> sure. um, and and so I've been talking to him on and off, you know, sort of over the years. And for some reason, I mean, I think with a lot of side projects, especially you kind of have to feel like it's the right thing for you to build at the right time. And so for me, at least part of it felt like now was the right time to kind of work on it just because of the sort of time that it would take to build it and the time it would take to maintain it after you've launched it and sort of all that kind of stuff. And so it never felt like it was the right time until now. But, you know, looking back, obviously seeing how it's been received and, you know, people are really you know, excited about it and stuff. But, you know, I, I kind of wonder, had I, should I have built it than when I actually started it? <laughs> right. Sure. What was the delay for that? So you were working on other projects or? Yeah, I mean, I think it was, I mean, I was a little bit concerned about the whole it just works if you have enough of a community, right? Like if there's enough people at the beginning who are submitting stuff, people are uploading stuff. If, if you come to a site like this and there's one podcast episode, you know, you know, nobody's submitting stuff and nobody's uploading stuff, it just kind of feels like it's a really poor place to be and a poor place to find new episodes of things like that. So I think that was my main concern was that I didn't think I had at the time, at least, I didn't think I had the right audience and the right people I could reach out to to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to work on this. I'm going to launch this thing. Is it something that you could commit to, you know, once a week submitting an episode or however often it is? So uh, I think that was my main because it was not to actually to like, I think write the code for something like this. I think it still is pretty straightforward and it was pretty straightforward as well. But have that early user base who would be active on it and so that when other people saw it they would see that that vibrancy so i was more concerned about the time commitment after i launched it i think that makes ton of sense so what does the future look like for pod hunt i think the future's pretty right i mean the main thing that really excites me is that when, when i first launched pod hunt i was submitting a lot of the episodes right? like every day i would find things that two or three episodes a day i was submitting just to make sure that there was some activity on the site and stuff like that. Now, 10 weeks in now, I typically only submit stuff on the weekends now because the weekends are still pretty high in terms of activity. Mm. Uh, but in the week now, I think yesterday we had, 
I think we had eight episodes yesterday. I think we have about six already submitted today as well. And about I didn't submit any of those. a mistake that you awesome. made during this process. Yeah, so that whole community feeding on itself, I think, is starting to happen. And, and, and so we're having a lot of activity that is just other people who find the service, like the service, and are becoming active users of it. Very cool. I love it. So tell me what you're most proud of about PodHunt. I think it's just the fact that people are finding it and finding value in it. I think the thing that really pushed me to actually start PodHunt eventually was that I was looking for new podcasts as well and finding that most of the lists that are out there, most of the leaderboards that are out there have the same 100 people on there, have the same 200 people on them. You know, maybe number one changes to number two and number two changes to number three, but kind of essentially it's the same celebrities that you see everywhere else. It's the same big names from TV and those kind of other places. But when you come to PodHunt, you know, you see one of those people each day, but chances are it's somebody that you've never heard of and it's somebody who's recording some awesome stuff and you're able to hear it. So the fact that PodHunt is able to showcase and highlight such a diverse group of people working in the industry, I think is really awesome. For sure. Nicely done there. Name an architect, a CTO, or a tech person you look up to and tell me why. Yeah, I know it's going to sound a little bit strange, but as I've been a, a friend of Ben Tussel for a long time, and he's not a CTO because he doesn't know how to write code, <laughs> but that hasn't stopped him from building a really awesome company in the tech space. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes back a little bit to what we talked about earlier in terms of this can-do attitude that people have to have especially if you're in the startup space as well. So what a lot of people see as an obstacle that they can't overcome. I don't know how to write code. So I'm not going to, you know, so a lot of people just try and learn how to write code. And his attitude was, well, look, there's enough out there now on the internet. There's enough things out there. There's enough tools out there that if you want to build something, you can find a way to build it without having to write code. And then, so he was able to do that. And then obviously he built like a whole movement around that as well. And so I think, I think that's really awesome. The fact that, you know, you kind of see an obstacle and rather than stopping and saying, I can't overcome this obstacle or just trying to take the traditional way of around that, which would be, I'm going to learn how to code. He said, no, I'm going to find my own way around this, around this obstacle instead. Right. And great problem solver. For those that don't know Ben Tossel, give kind of a brief overview of what he started. Yeah, so Ben Tussle and, you know, there's been a couple of other folks who are kind of active in this space. But, yeah, I think he's probably at the forefront of the no-code movement. Uh, so he runs a company called Makerpad, and I believe it's makerpad.co, I think it is. Or he might have the .com, I, I don't remember. Uh, but I think it's makerpad.co. And it's a website that anybody can visit and he lists a whole bunch of tutorials and, and kind of things like that, that kind of walk people through how to make a bunch of different kind of applications without having to write any code. So if you've got a problem that you want to solve that normally you would have to go hire somebody for, but it's probably something that exists already, but you just want to serve a different market or a different industry, you can find on Hakerpad all of the tools and instructions that you need to be able to build that thing without having to write any code. So it really opens up the world of startups to, to just about anybody now. So if you have an idea or you want to replicate an idea of an existing application, but in a new industry, in a new country or anything like that, chances are you can figure out how to do it uh, through Hakerpad. Very cool. That sounds like an awesome tool. If you could go back to the beginning when Product Hunt pulled podcasts or uh, the beginning of the train ride, 
what would you do differently? Yeah, I mean, I think seeing other people's reaction to it. I mean, I think the only thing I might do is just just not do it alone, perhaps. You know, having some other folks involved kind of earlier, I think may have helped to accelerate things even more than they are now, I think. And then, like I said, other than that, just starting a lot sort of earlier as well. So if I'd had the sort of forethought to be able to go back to when Paragatan took off the category and just built something immediately at that point, I think, you know, it, it may have actually been easier to capture the sort of uh, active user base that had existed on Product Hunt initially, and it may have been easier to kind of siphon them over instead. Gotcha. That makes sense. Well, Mubs, you've been active in the startup space. You've built 85 side project. You've got a great product with Pod Hunt. If you were sitting next to someone on a plane and they were just getting started uh, on their first side project or their first startup, what advice would you give them? I think the biggest advice and the thing I try and follow still is, especially when you're starting, just make as little as you can, right? Like don't have this big, yes, have the big idea about the thing that you want to build and the big, all the features that you want it to have, but really start small in terms of launch with as little as you can. Build the, the fewest of those features that you can, that, that you can launch and actually have in the hands of the people that you want to use your application and then let them tell you which features they actually want out of that big long list of things that you have. So yeah, so just aim big, but start small, I guess, is the is the best advice, I think. Oh, that's awesome. Well, Mubs, thanks for being on Code Story today. Thank you for telling your story and the creation story of Pod Hunt. Absolutely, it's been fantastic to be here. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Labhart. Season 2 episodes are co-produced and edited by Bradley Denham. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just 5 to 10 bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. A quick note from our friends at DrawSQL. As a developer, have you ever wanted to visualize your database schema? DrawSQL helps you create pretty database diagrams to document your database and share it within your dev team. In fact, they just launched a gallery that was featured on Product Time and ranked number three on Hacker News. So definitely check it out to see some database schema references of popular open source packages. Get a 20% lifetime discount on any DrawSQL plans by using code story, all caps, all one word, at checkout, or just email hello at drawsql.app. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.